0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, my name's Fred Rojas, and regretfully, I am solo again. Uh, I know I promised otherwise, and the reason I'm solo is purely my fault. Um, The other night, uh, Trees was ready to record with me uh, to do our live all-games show, and I screwed up, guys. I was really busy with my daughter, although that's not an excuse Had a supreme pizza and a beer for dinner uh, with my wife. uh, Laid down um, for a second. uh, Got a little drowsy, so I got up and got everything ready for the show. And literally 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes before we recorded, I passed the hell out. So I fell asleep and woke up after midnight and everybody had gone. So uh, I screwed up, but uh, I was kind of contemplating taking a week off. But you know what? For you loyal fans, why would I? Um, So uh, I'm going to take the topic that we were going to do and... elaborate on it a little bit. Uh, we were going to do um, movies based off of uh, game, video games based off of movies and, and how fun those are and things like that. And while I think that's totally true and we would have some great discussion, I'm actually going to talk about games that... Uh, the OUYA recently came out. and I have an article up on GamingHistory101.com if you want to check it out. And one of the biggest things about it is that it's uh, good for emulation. And I said that the problem is, is that people are going to emulate games they've already played before. And yes, I understand GoldenEye64 is technically a movie game. But... I think it's misplaced under that, you know, genre of games you've played before that you can easily get your hands on and things like that. Um I think that the best reason for emulation is to play games either that weren't available in your country or that uh uh, that you can't get anywhere else. And so these are going to be some pretty rare movie-based games that are actually really good that I'm going to be talking about tonight. And maybe Trees and I will come back and do our blockbuster one where we talk about the actual games we we all love. So just know that I'll make some honorable mentions to games you probably love, um, but uh, the, the, these are kind of like the rare games that I've played that I don't think a lot of people have played and they really should. Um, and they definitely justify emulation because being movie-licensed games, it's very hard to re-release them, and I think almost none of them have been re-released. So it's something to think about. Um, But uh, I will discuss them basically and, and briefly why I like them. Um, this probably won't be very long of a show, but I wanted to give you guys some content. The Big Doggy is coming up, though. Uh, coming up this week, uh, or rather next week on the feed, and Sunday night it will be premiering live. Although it will be a pre-recorded show because the guys are from Scotland. I have Scotland's own level uh, 42 Level 1 guys coming into the studio to talk about the Sonic series. And, and people from uh, across the pond are definitely uh, major fans of Sonic the Hedgehog, much more than we were here. Plus major fans of Sega, and me being a Sega and Sonic fanboy... I cannot wait to do that episode. And it's going to be very thorough and it's probably going to be like 14 hours long. So anyway, that's coming. That's going to hit. We are recording it on Sunday. We will play it live on all games Sunday night. And then it will be appearing on the feed next week. Um, But definitely check that one out. That's going to be a big show. Um, And then after that, Trees will probably return and we'll we'll be doing some other stuff. but yeah, definitely check that out. Uh go to gaminghistory101.com forward slash contact if you want to give any comments, questions, etc., about the uh Sonic podcast. And uh you can definitely hit me up at Spider's Venom on Twitter as well. Uh but without further ado, uh let's just kick this off and talk about some of uh my favorite summer movie games. Um, because uh it's summer, it's the time for blockbusters and things like that. And I thought this would be a fun little subject uh that that I don't get an opportunity to talk about too often. Um, So, first and foremost is the Data East um, arcade game of uh, RoboCop. I believe this came out in 1984 or 1985. Um, It's got very cool graphics. Um, Obviously, it wouldn't be part of the Data East collection that recently released on the Wii... Because it's a RoboCop license. But um, it was a very cool game. Uh, lots of people like it. And if you if you need any excuse for MAME, uh, this is it. But basically, you're walking the streets as RoboCop. The NES game is somewhat similar to it, but it's not the same thing. So I definitely recommend playing the arcade game above and beyond the NES game. Um, but you have parts of the mission where you can walk around and punch his RoboCop, and then there are times where he brings his gun out and he's able to shoot. And uh it was just a really cool kind of side-scrolling up The graphics were really good for 1985, you know, when, when everything looks kind of like early Nintendo games. And you've got this, which has big, big, beautiful sprites, and it's definitely on par with a lot of the other arcade games like... Uh, double dragon and and things like that that are coming out from data east and various other companies uh, in the coin op space um it was a it was a great arcade game and i would say it stayed in arcades even through to even the late 90s and was something that everyone wanted to play when those nickel arcades hit everywhere from like 95 to 2000 where you would pay a nickel to play every game but you paid like a 10 dollar entry fee or something um so definitely if you get a chance, if you have MAME or if you have a local arcade that you're lucky enough to have it, uh, definitely go and play RoboCop at some point in time. Uh, you'll really enjoy it. Plus, Scott Sharkey said that if you play it enough, you can get good enough that he was able to one-quarter that game. While I've not gotten close to that, I think it probably takes me about a buck fifty to beat it um, if I were playing it old-school style, um, I, I still think that it's a great game, and, and I've definitely played it a lot to get to that point. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, The next game is also kind of a Retronauts uh, flair uh, in that I didn't know it existed until Retronauts talked about it, which is a game called The Terminator. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with The Terminator, um, but there was a DOS version that, of all things, was made by Bethesda Softworks in 1990, so only a few years after The Terminator came out. they uh, they got to release a license of the game, and this is before you know all the console versions and stuff came out. And it was this crazy, almost like 3D rendered. Um, I mean, it looks really low res, but for the time, it looked amazing. Uh, massive world. I, I also recently read that it was written um, 100% in assembly language. There was like 35,000 lines of code and uh, like 20,000 um, uh, uh, like objects, 3D objects in the world. Um, But what it is, is it's a fully realized um, 10 by 6 mile grid of Los Angeles that actually... um literally recreates the city in in pretty close to perfect detail uh they've taken out some things like highways and things like that but for the most part it literally recreates los angeles for you and also includes things like dodger stadium griffith park and uh, silver lake reservoir which is very cool and very illustrious for the time and it's this 3d rendered like action adventure first person game where you either play as kyle protecting sarah connor and you're running in and out of buildings and things like that trying to protect her from the terminator which of course is is amazingly impossible or you play as the terminator hunting down kyle and sarah and of course at that point kyle just manages to have just tons and tons of weapons and is able to blow you away no problem on top of that uh there is also police involvement so i i would argue this is very ahead of its time And very impressive uh, for what it was. And I don't even know if there's a good way to get it to play nowadays. I'm guessing since it was DOS, you know, DOSBox would probably be a quick and easy way to do it. But definitely something to check out. I'm sure it's available out there. Um, I've only looked up YouTube videos of the game playing. Um but uh but it just looks really cool. Um probably a little dated for its time, but it's definitely some little piece of of gaming's past that if you're not too familiar with, you may as well uh take the plunge and 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 check out The Terminator on uh, on DOS. Very cool game. Uh very cool concept. Uh, way ahead of its time for 1990. Um next up is a game uh based off of the Back to the Future games. Now Back to the Future games are almost notoriously terrible even the telltale title that came out a couple years ago um was was good but it was still you know a dated point and click adventure for all accounts um but this game is called super back to the future 2 and it was only available in japan for the super famicom um but it's a side scroller where you play as marty mcfly and you're trying to avoid police and various other things while riding on a hoverboard and uh collecting little things and it's just kind of like this kooky little platformer um Everybody's got really big heads and really small bodies, and it's that, like, wacky anime style. Um, but it is just a really fun platformer, and even not knowing the lyrics, or the lyrics, um, not knowing the language and things like that doesn't, isn't really a barrier for entry. And it's, it's just a lot of fun, and, and definitely shows off the strengths of the Super Nintendo with the good sound chip and uh, the big, beautiful sprites. And, uh, you know, more and more I love showing this game off. It's something where people see it, and they immediately connect with the idea that it's a side-scrolling platformer, so they suddenly want to play it. And uh, I think this is a great way to kind of show this off to people. And being that it's a Back to the Future game amidst uh, a slew of terrible Back to the Future games, Um, I really think we would have been better off having never gotten any of these Back to the Future games and gotten um, Super Back to the Future 2 in this country. I'm guessing licensing rights are probably the biggest reason why this wasn't uh, allowed to come out because they're, I believe, um, LJN or Acclaim, which I think were the same company technically, uh, had the rights to that, so they were definitely pushing that license in America, whereas they probably didn't have any uh, clout or existence even in Japan, so other companies were allowed to to kind of pull those out. So, um, And on that subject, uh, there are a couple of games I want to uh, bring up um, that were only in the Famicom uh, or NES uh, in Japan that are great licensed games. Um, and the first one is a Star Wars game. Uh, actually, Namco uh, brought out a Star Wars game before anybody else did, which is absolutely like a batshit insane game. Um, for For some unknown reason, Darth Vader's a scorpion. Uh, nothing really falls into place or makes much sense, but it's just that kooky anime world and and crazy storytelling that you see in so many uh. Japanese games, especially of, of the Super Famicom era. Um, and you're just, you just see it and you're just like, what the hell is this? But at the same time, and it's really hard. So just take that with the grain of salt that it comes with. But, uh, I mean, at its core, it's a really crazy and really fun game. And I just can't help, but like sometimes just, uh, sit down and, and, and and plunk it in on, on my flash cart and play it. Um, because it's just a, it's just a crazy game. Um, and I think it really does a much better job than the so-so games that we saw out, here by uh, Lucas. Um, I think it was LucasArts that did the NES games, but if not, then they helped develop it with some other American company. But either way, um, they were okay games, but they were nowhere near uh, just the, the crazy off-the-wall concepts of this one. Um, so that's one of them. Uh, another one is definitely um, The Goonies. Now, The Goonies 2 was was a very well-known NES game. And, and, I mean, we all saw it, and we probably were like, The Goonies 2, what? like, And, it you know, it kind of implies that there's a sequel and all these crazy adventures that Mikey has and stuff like that. But uh, The Goonies 1 actually did exist. And what it was, was it was a... Um, it was kind of uh, kind of like Goonies 2, where you went in and out of doors and stuff, but it was more of a room-to-room kind of puzzle game, where you always had to find the key to unlock the door, and it's a lot of fun, and it was actually in arcades in the PlayChoice 10, and I do think there was like a Commodore 64 port or something. Now, there was another Commodore 64 game that was very different, where you, uh, which was also called The Goonies, where you go up into the attic and stuff, but I think... There was some sort of microcomputer version of what is this Nintendo game from Japan. But either way, the easiest way to find it is with the uh, Famicom ROM. And if you ever get a chance to play it, uh, I highly recommend it. It's a fun little room-to-room puzzle game, uh, not unlike like Vampire Killer, which was the Castlevania game for the MSX. Um, and I definitely think that anyone who, uh, who's interested should, should definitely check it out. Um, it, was, it was really fun. Um, next up is an NES game, but it, uh, came out on the NES, which is, um, the, uh, um, the, uh, NES game Gremlins 2. Now I remember getting Gremlins 2 when I was a kid and, uh, I got it because, you know, who wasn't into Gremlins and Gremlins 1 didn't get made into, uh, into an NES game. But, uh, the interesting thing about uh, Gremlins 2 is it's, it's kind of hard, but the graphics are bar none some of the best graphics I've seen on the NES. I think the game came out late, like 92 or 93, but it might have been earlier than that. It might have even been as early as 1990 or 91. I can't really remember, and I should have looked it up for this show, but I didn't, of course. Um, but it was, a, it was a very cool game, and it had great graphics, and it, it had all kinds of crazy stuff that you come to expect from games nowadays. And it was kind of like a top-down, slightly isometric uh, combination platformer action-adventure game where you would fight gremlins, which was very cool. You would fight, you were gizmo. You'd fight all kinds of things like rats and things like that. You had upgradable power-ups such as, uh, there was, you would collect coins and you could spend them in shops to get like extra heart containers because you were started out with only two hearts per level. You could buy health kits, extra lives, stronger weapons. You had lots of different weapons. Um, I, the two I remember very uh, distinctly were the match, which fired off... Uh, Fireballs, and then there was, of course, the uh, bow and arrow. He uh, in the movie, uh, Gizmo watches uh, Rambo two, I think it was, but it might have. No, it was Rambo three because he uses the explosive arrow to take down the helicopter, and um, and uh, you get that bow and arrow kind of combination. But Gizmo's is a little different. It's a paper clip with a rubber band on it, and it's uh, I don't know either a match or some sort of random kind of fire explosive based device, uh, all taped to a pencil. Um, but you get to do that. And all the crazy gremlins that were in the game um, or in the movie are accounted for. You fight, I think, the girl gremlins in there. But you, I definitely know like some of your bosses are like the uh, the different uh, gizmos before they get transformed. And then you've got like the smooth-talking gremlin and the electric gremlin. And, of course, Stripe or Spike, I think he's called because he's actually got a Spike a mohawk mohawk maybe is what his name was and he becomes the spider gremlin and so he's in there too and uh it's it's again it's kind of a hard game but it's really good and you can definitely get to the end and i just remember seeing um and if you can go google screenshots of it or something i remember seeing the spider gremlin um final boss and it was just absolutely amazing to me so uh that's definitely a cool game worth checking out and it's probably pretty cheap nowadays so um Anyway, next up, we're going to go back to uh, the uh, mid-90s in a little little movie called Jurassic Park. Now, there were two amazing games that were made for it. And all in all, I think Jurassic Park had a pretty fair shake when it came to games. I mean, people like to make fun of, I think it's Intruder or something. It was a... uh Windows-based th- early 3D game that had a crazy physics engine, and uh, uh, I have it, uh, but I've not been very successful in making it run on modern-day consoles, not even, like, Windows uh, XP consoles. I think you have to go back to 95 for those, uh, and compatibility mode doesn't really help you, um, but it was like a first-person shooter in Jurassic Park, um, and, you know, there are merits to the Genesis one where you can play as the Raptor or Grant, and there's, there's a decent... You know, part two, the uh, the isometric, cartoony SNES one, which had first-person shooter levels and stuff like that. Um, but I think, bar none, the, the two top ones and the ones that every person must have in their collection if they've got these consoles is uh, the Sega CD version. Now, I've already talked about this, so I'm I'm going to make it kind of short. But the Sega CD version is a uh, point-and-click adventure. And uh, so it, it it heavily resembles, like, the LucasArts games. And you're only given a certain amount of time. I think it's in real time. And I think it's, like, 12 hours or something. And uh, you have to get in there and collect an egg from each of the nests and then get off the island. Um, and this is after all the chaos from the movies has happened. So you're kind of returning to the island right before they blow it up, basically, because in the book they blow it up, even though in the movies they don't. And uh, as you're pointing, clicking around, you wander around and you see lots of interesting things. You There's a shooter area with a Dilophosaurus attack. Uh, there's a Triceratops. There's obviously a T-Rex attack and various other things. You deal with raptors. You go in and out of um, you know the the visitor center and stuff like that. And there were little clips that weren't from the movie, but they looked like they were filmed on on location and stuff. And there were cool little CGI stuff when you would walk through the different doors and whatnot uh, within the building. Um, And all in all, it was just a really fun game. And if you ever get a chance to play through it, I I, I ask you to try it a couple of times. And then when you get frustrated or if you can't really quite figure it out, uh, grab a walkthrough and and, and play through it. Because even with a walkthrough, that game is a lot of fun and definitely well worth your time. Uh, You'll definitely want to free up some save spots, though, because I think it takes up the entire Sega CD-included RAM uh, memory. And if not, then uh, if you've got the cartridge, then then you should be pretty good. Uh, but that was good. And then, uh, Trees and I talk about it all the time, is Operation Genesis, which is the uh, theme park builder uh, that came out on the PS2, Xbox, and PC. Now, Therese has talked about it. It's a very expensive game nowadays. Uh, it usually sells for about 50 bucks minimum for disc only on eBay. I recently found a scratch-to-shit copy that I took uh, to a uh, local CD store and had them buff out all the edges, and it seems to work just fine. It's only a CD, which is the craziest part because the ps2 cd games are, are purple instead of blue when you look at their back and um and uh and the game seems to run just fine on my ps2 um but uh for those of you who have either played this or want an extended experience trees recently talked to me about wanting an extended experience with it because it's it's kind of short and there aren't many scenarios in the in the campaign and there's not really much else to do um is uh, if you get the PC version, and I think the PC version is either considered abandonware or there's enough sites that offer it for download that it's really easy to find. And obviously... You know, no one's fighting to, to re-release this game, um, but there's a huge mod community that has created secondary islands new scenarios, there's updates left and right, there's forums on how to make it work in XP, Windows 7 all this stuff, and that thing seems to still be thriving and it's crazy, there's literally like gigabytes of mods you can download for this game, so if you really want to uh, keep it all alive, and trees if you happen to hear this, definitely check it out uh, Operation Genesis on the PC seems to be alive and well uh in that regard so um anyway uh next up i kind of touched on star wars already but there's a star wars game that's near and dear to my heart and as much as i'd like to and remember these are movie licensed games so just because they're the star wars license doesn't mean they count these have to literally be based off of movies and as much as i really love um the super star wars games that were on the super nintendo um i think my number one favorite star wars game and one that i you either played it if you were around at that time or you completely ignore it and it's super common and cheap. Is Star Wars Episode One Pod Racer? I think we would all argue that you know the best part about Episode One was the pod racing scene, and this literally was a racing game that utilized the pod racers we saw in the game. Now, uh, for the campaign, you're obviously Anakin Skywalker, but if you go multiplayer with it on the N64, you could have up to four people, and I don't remember if the Dreamcast could do more than four people, but I know the Dreamcast could support at least four people, and it was on that as well. Um, I think there was also a PC port, but uh, either way. Um, it was a really fun racer where you could play as various different people. So, Bulba was obviously my favorite because he's a douchebag and, and obviously his ship was optimized to be the biggest challenge. Uh, but, uh, it looked really great on N64, which is where I played it. Now, I know it kind of depends on which version you bought when you were a kid. Uh, you're gonna think that one's the best one, but, uh, but definitely a very, very cool game. Um, I highly recommend, uh, if you've never played it. It's probably like three bucks at your local secondhand store. Definitely che- check out uh, Star Wars Episode One Pod Racer because um, it is bar none one of the best racers for the you know late '90s early 2000s era. Um, you know, kind of especially of the la- license racers. But if you're done with cart-based uh, games, this is probably your next best bet. Um, next up is a game that I-, I played it mostly on the PS1, but I know it's on the Saturn and PC as well, which was um, the Alien Trilogy. Now some people like this, some people don 't um, i 've got to tell you, I really think that the alien trilogy um, was was a great game it was It was full featured it was kind of a doom clone. Um, the graphics are so so, but uh, you know to go through those movies and really have something that even if it was like a lackluster version, you know kind of completed those plot lines and did as good a job as, as any at, at just trying to follow along with them. I thought it was a really good job, and uh, and and I highly recommend that if you get a chance, um, you know, pick up and play through this blocky mess that is the Alien trilogy. I think uh, I think I recently uh, picked up a pro action replay on my PS One so I could get like unlimited lives or something because that was the one thing that was definitive about this was that it was very difficult. Uh, but it's really cool, and it was during this like trilogy realm where everybody wanted to pack a bunch of game into like a single disc, and and uh, for that early you know PS One era stuff. Um, and Saturn and stuff, um, this this definitely was one of them. Um, and again, you're going to find people who are going to think this is a, a terrible trilogy, and it's probably why a lot of you haven't played it. And so I'm not promising that that's not true. I'm just saying that I personally found it to be uh, really good, and I, I really enjoyed it. And, and for its time, um, it was it was decent. It was decent. Um, probably a little better, but again, falls under the same realm. It's going to be cheap. It's going to be easy to find, and, and you're going to find people who love and hate this game. Uh, is the Die Hard Trilogy. I mean, what I liked about this was it was like three full games. And again, this one was on PS1. It might have been on Saturn. I'm not sure, but probably. And then I'm guessing there was a PC port. But again, I hold my arms up in a shrug. I'm guessing. Um, But what it was, was it was all three movies. And there was a decent amount of gameplay in each one. But Die Hard 1 was like an isometric shooter um, was so, so at doing that, but it was an isometric shooter. And I think you played like 30 something levels. You literally kind of scaled the whole Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> and then at the end, you know, you beat the game and then Die Hard two was a first person shooter, but no, I'm sorry. It was an on rails light gun shooter. And you could actually use, I think the gun con, uh, to play that game. And if you couldn't use the gun con, it was whatever other light guns were on the console. Um, But yeah, you could use them to play this shooter. And it looked very similar to Virtua Cup, only it literally followed the plot line and story of Die Hard 2. And there was a guy who kind of tried to play McClane, and he did okay at it. Um, it was close enough, but obviously it definitely wasn't Bruce Willis. And then in the third game, it was like a racing sim. Almost kind of like Crazy Taxi, where you're just like running around and trying to get through checkpoints uh, through a kind of remodeled uh, LA um, and, and trying to get around as... as oh, wait, actually, no, it was in New York. He's back in New York in that one. So, yeah, you're back in New York and you're trying to just do a bunch of races. And I remember when I first got that game, we had a lot of time and you didn't get a lot of games, you know. And so I remember spending so much time trying to complete all all those 100% and then of course when I finally sold my Playstation as one does I sold my memory card and man if I had all those 100% completions for like Final Fantasy and and Die Hard and stuff like that but anyway those two are pretty cool to check out Um, the next one is a pretty dated game but it's uh, I think it came out in 1987 it was a PC game again it was probably DOS if not it might have been Windows 3.1 but I'm guessing it was DOS Um, and it was Night of the Living Dead and uh, it had, like, Contra-style graphics, and it was, like, a room-to-room shooter where you would, like, enter rooms and you'd have to kill off zombies, but it was in this weird kind of, like, hybrid Contra smash TV. Well, like, Contra, sorry, let me rephrase. It's Contra in the, the, the even levels, like level 2 and level 4, where you would, like, walk straight ahead, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, <coughs> excuse me, it wasn't the side-scrolling levels, it was the vertical You know, walk forward levels. Um, But it was a weird game, and I remember not many people had it. But because um, around that time, I had just gotten our first PC, I think it was a 386, um, and I was all proud of it, you know, and we were just counting down the years until we could get, you know, um, something other than Windows 3.1, and we were all oogling over Myst, and I think Duke Nukem was on the horizon, and Doom was on the horizon. Uh, this was a game that came in a few floppy disks and it was it was a lot of fun. So if you can track that down, uh, that would probably be cool to play. And I'm sure DOSBox, again, will will do just a fine job at it. Um, and then we're kind of wrapping up here. This is actually going a little faster than I thought. So sorry about the short episode, guys, but I promise to make up for it next week. Um, next up is Predator 2 on the Genesis. Now, I know a lot of people who don't even know this exists. But again, this is kind of a cool, much like the Die Hard trilogy, this is a... Um, isometric kind of third person shooter where you're literally running through this like Neo future LA as Danny Glover, uh, trying to hunt down the predator, but you're really just, you know, bagging bad guys. Um, and it kind of semi resembled narc from like the arcades in the NES era. Uh, if you've ever played Nark uh, by Midway, but uh, but it was it was a very cool game, and I remember getting it when it came out because I was like a big you know Aliens Predator fan and stuff like that. Uh, Alien Three on the Genesis is an honorable mention, but I'm not really going to get into it. Um, but uh, but I remember Predator Two coming out, and I just I just thought it was so cool, and it kind of held up, and it was better than the shitty Predator game that was on the NES. Um, and it, again, it's it's a lot of fun to play, and I think very few people have gotten to the end and actually taken on the the extreme challenge that is the predator, but um, you know, for what it's worth, um, you know every level in that game uh, was a lot of fun. and it, it is kind of a unique of that time of that ilk kind of game. Um, actually not too different than um, the uh, Shadow Run game. That was, uh, that was also on the Genesis. So uh, again, while it's, it's nowhere near as complex or as amusing as Shadowrun, uh, it's definitely a, a worthwhile game. If you see that on eBay for under 10 bucks, or you see it at your local shops or something, definitely pick up Predator 2. It's one of those licensed games I don't think you'll really regret having picked up, especially on the uh, Genesis and for games of, of the Genesis era. Um, and then uh, last but not least, I'm going to close with a game I didn't think was going to be that great, but it was actually uh, quite good. And uh, I think it was made by Vicarious Visions. No. You know what? Um, I'm pretty sure it was a Treyarch joint, now that I think about it, um, which is uh, the game uh, Spider-Man 2. It was on the PS2, followed the plot line of Spider-Man 2, and uh, it was one of those first uh, open world, really well-to-do, web-slinging, you know, it's your New York, uh, Grand Theft Auto from the air, uh, 3D rendered worlds. And, um, you know, uh, Treyarch now best known for the Call of Duty series. But back then, that was what they were best known for. And I, I, I still think there are people today who think back on um, on Spider-Man 2 and go, oh, yeah, that was just such an amazing game. Uh, so so I, I highly recommend it. Um, I, I think it's a it's it's a great game, and I, I think it's well worth uh, uh, people checking out. Um, and I don't think... Well, you know, actually, i got to take it back. Spider-Man 2, much like one I was going to mention, but because of its popularity, I wasn't going to mention it, so I'll mention that one also, which is only the Xbox One game. I think it was exclusive to the Xbox One, which was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I know is based off of the TV show, not the movie, but, you know, hey, it's my podcast. I can do what I want. But uh, both of these games, I think think are popular or known to be good licensed games, but just in case they're not, I wanted to mention them. And actually, I think Trees and I have talked about possibly doing a Buffy the Vampire Slayer game club um, coming up here. Uh, So maybe we'll do that for sometime near the end of the summer or something. But anyway... Um, so these are the games that, that I really love that, that I don't think a lot of people know about. And, of course, there's just a ton of games that are licensed games that people do know about and do acknowledge as great games. Um, and I think those are those are abundant. And, and, obviously, I'm probably letting go of a lot of unique ideas that were on like, micro consoles like the MSX, the Amstrad, CPC, you know, the ZX Spectrum, and, and the Commodore 64 and stuff like that. So... My question to you, my task to you is if you know about these and other titles that are amazing and that are worth it, um, please mention them so that one day when we do the uh, full movie license uh, show with trees and possibly other people um, and enjoy it, I would love to read off your comments. So, um, you know, again, you can hit me up either at Spider's Venom on Twitter or go to GamingHistory101.com forward slash contact or go to GamingHistory101 and click on the contact link. Send it to me. I'll shelve it away for, uh, for a rainy day when we, when we do talk about these. But uh, without further ado... Um, you guys have a good one. Uh, sorry I fell asleep and screwed up this week's GH 101, but hopefully this, you know, quick half an hour show kind of makes up for it. Um, you know, you can check us out at gaminghistory101.com and also check out our uh, video show, Retro Game Night. Um, this week I did The Adventures of Lolo and I also did. Um, Uh, 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 Joe and Matt, Caveman Ninjas. You can check that out at our YouTube page. YouTube.com forward slash VGPTGS. There is a 16-year-old, or not even 16, I think he's a 12-year-old boy who created the Gaming History 101 username and hasn't really done anything with it, which blocked me from being able to make it so many years ago, like two years ago. And then suddenly he started posting stuff this year. And you can definitely tell it's not me, and he has these kind of semi-boring diatribes and only about 15 views on each of his videos. And it seems like him and his junior high or high school buddies just talking about old video games or old to them. The GameCube is his retro game. Um, You know, and he's not bad, I just hate that he's blocking it, and I really wish I could have the Gaming History 101, uh, you know, postscript on my YouTube page, but since I can't, uh, this is it. But if you search Gaming History 101, my videos come up over his most of the time, I think. So, anyway, this coming up week in honor of uh, 4th of July, I'm going to be doing patriotic games, so look for some... Uber Patriotic Games on on this week's show and then when we come back I've got some cool uh additional uh you know when I start doing normal weeks I've got some cool additional ones um I've got another one from Finian uh who was responsible for our first episode and then recently uh, Jake mcclanahan also known as Neo Jake um reminded me of an awesome dungeon crawler on the Genesis I'll definitely be playing uh, the week after July the 4th so anyway Check out our July the 5th episode and uh, see four or five games that uh, you probably didn't know were super patriotic games and are amazing. So anyway, without further ado, this is Fred from Gaming History 101 calling it a week and saying sorry. I promise not to fall asleep again. Peace out.